Hello and welcome to the Aerospace Ambition podcast. This is Kieran, accompanied by my co-host Marius. As aerospace engineers, we delve into the nexus of sustainable aviation, artificial intelligence and the climate crisis. Today's episode centres on the practical aspects of preventing and handling contrails. Contrails are the white ice trails left by aircraft at high altitude and they have a potentially large warming effect due to absorbing and re-emitting thermal radiation back towards Earth, more so than they reflect incoming sunlight. So Marius, who's our guest for today's discussion? Hello Kieran and a warm welcome to all our listeners. Today we are delighted to welcome Joachim Mayholm. He's an accomplished business leader, serial entrepreneur and communicator with a rich background spanning over 20 years. Joachim founded Blue Lines, an organization that raises awareness for the environmental impact of contrails. Blue Lines is focused on hastening the adoption of regulations to reduce the climate effects caused by warming contrails from airlines. Recently, Joachim has also joined the Rocky Mountain Institute as a senior consultant for contrails. Welcome, Joachim. Thank you very much. We're looking forward to it. Great to have you. So first question that comes to my mind would be, you have such a diverse background. Uh, how did you get into contrails? Um, yeah, that was kind of a coincidence. Um, uh, as You know, as you said, uh, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an engineer. I have a business and, and a communication background. And um, a few years back, I decided that I wanted to get into the climate um, so, you know, I took some courses, Berkeley Extension, UC Berkeley, I live in San Francisco, so it's just around around here, took a course at Terra.do and just found this was an amazing area and felt very uh, purposeful to work with climate. Um, and then I got introduced to one of your former guests, uh, Mark Shapiro, who was uh, at that time, two years ago working for uh, in a small organization called Orca Sciences and and looking at what to do with these contrails and and um, and how he could build software to try to predict how to avoid the areas of, of cold and humid air where where lasting contrails with a big climate impact occur and um, he didn't have a website so we wrote up some how can we can we talked about how to communicate this and and how to um, get people engaged. And um, after my three-month contract with him ran out, he joined Breakthrough Energy, uh, or the whole group got installed by Breakthrough Energy, where they are now. And I went on to other things, but I just couldn't forget this amazing opportunity of um, of contrail uh, management. So I decided to do found my own little nonprofit, Blue Lines, and. Um, just by pure coincidence, the the week my website or Blue Lines website was released was the same week that Breakthrough Energy released their website, and also Google Research came out with their um, Contrail website. So two two big ones and and a little tiny one um, from almost no um, you know easy to understand websites about Contrails before that. And since then, yeah, it's just been I've been on. Different projects and been um, moderating uh, some contrail uh, talks at different aviation uh, conferences and joined the Rocky Mountain Institute contrail um, task force three months ago and and helping them for the next few months to we're mainly producing a big roadmap to for for the industry of how to implement contrail management in the future. 
Can you expand a bit on exactly what Blue Lines is as an organization and maybe what its role is in the ecosystem? Blue Lines is, is just a resource for to educate and communicate about um, about contrails. And what are we doing in the in the ecosystem? I mean, the, the ecosystem is so small. So I think, you know, we've successfully um, helped connect some people that were not connected before. Happy to talk to anyone who wants to um, do any press about this or talk to some airports that want to, you know, thinking of communicating this, um, helping other organizations with how to communicate what they're doing. So just trying to be helpful. And and as you know, this is a, I think, 90% of your former guests have been engineers. So I feel like I'm one of the only ones who's not a scientist or an engineer in this world. And so I have other skills that can maybe be useful. And you're involved with the Rocky Mountain Institute, as as Marius said. So you're a consultant there. What is it that you're currently working on? I don't know how much I'm supposed to say. but <laughs> <laughs> And I, I just want to say I'm not representing any public opinions in this podcast from Rocky Mountain Institute. I'm just, you know, part-time consultant. But we're working on a white paper with uh, Roland Berger um, on on actual solutions to um, and to control mitigation um, or control management, and that will be published in a couple of months. And then we're working on this uh, big roadmap, which is um, an industry effort, like with other NGOs, with airlines involved, uh, OEMs like Boeing, Airbus, lots of scientists. So that will be hopefully a very, I'm hoping, an influential roadmap that, that the industry as a whole will look to for what to do with contrail management. Let's talk a little bit about the airline index that you present on bluelines.org. Could you please explain to our listeners what the airline index represents and um, how meaningful it is? So, um, first of all, I have to say I love airlines. Um, I'm from Denmark. I live in San Francisco. If I um, would have to um, take a train or a boat um, when I had to visit my family back in Denmark, uh, I would have uh, big problems. I think airlines are amazing and I think they generally want to do the right thing, but they're also businesses and they got to think about the shareholders. I, I have this belief that if you have a problem, you need to, the first, the first step to do something about your problem is to acknowledge that you have it. So think about the alcoholic you know you have to admit that you have an alcohol problem before you can start doing something about it so with that in mind you know we, we started systematically searching for every major airline's name and do thorough research to see if anyone has mentioned or been involved with contrails and started off with about eight months ago i think with eight or nine airlines on the list um, so we list those airlines and provide links to where they have publicly said that they are involved with some kind of contrail management trial or research or even, you know, being just acknowledging the problem exists. And that is at various degrees, you know, some just acknowledge it, some are deeply involved. And then we make a list that everyone can go and check out. It's updated whenever there's a new entry. Last update was November, but... Um, and then it's updated when some of the core airlines do something uh, that are already there do something different. And I want to, you know, talk about two of them that do something extraordinary. Delta Airlines has uh, has set some goals that they publicized. They want to reduce uh, contrail warming from their 
flights uh, by 80% in 2035 and by 100% uh, in 2050. So I think they're the only airline, or at least the first one, to 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 publicize some goals. And last week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Air France um, publicized um, a, a, a website uh, on their own website, a page um, stating that they are responsible for um, non-CO2 emissions, including um, uh, contrails. And that they want to do something about it, and that it's a little. It's, sometimes it's a it's a question about wording. So um, for a long time, airlines who have said anything about contrast say it might be, it may warm. But Air France, they're listening to the scientists now and saying, of course, it does warm. And now we are actually admitting we have this problem, um, and this is how big the problem is. And this is what, and we want to do something about that. And then they're also talking about the different um, projects they're involved in. And I think you know those two examples are um, great examples for other airlines to follow. Um, and hopefully, a lot will happen this year because um, every airline will have to disclose all their non-CO2 in Europe, um, their non-CO2 um, climate impact um, from next year. Yeah, it's interesting to see the shift of airlines going from sort of hiding the climate impact of aviation to now being quite upfront about it and not beating around the bush when it comes to the actual science that we do have a, a relatively good understanding on. Of course, there's still a lot of uncertainties, which we've talked about in previous episodes. But the fact that they're acknowledging that there's a big problem here that we have to solve and there's a lot of potential to solve a lot of the problem in a relatively short time frame, if we are upfront about it and if we do talk about it and, and we make these policy changes that need to happen. As far as I know, and I'm really happy if any listener go to the website and look at uh, at bluelines.org, uh, blue-lines.org, and go to the airline index and they see that the airline that they just read about um, is not there. Um, please let me know. Um, we got a few entries from that. Um, and, and we also know of other airlines uh, that have not publicly said that they're doing trials or involved in projects, but they are. Um, and they're not on the list because, you know, we, we need them to publicly say it. Um, it's great that they also do that. But saying that airlines have started doing it, uh, Kieran, is almost a stretch. I mean, I think it's like, you know, a couple of airlines that are really saying without no doubt that we are responsible for it. I went to the website before this interview and um, and also checked and and it's great to see really a bunch of airlines that are on the list and that are either doing research or they're actively engaged in i don't know eu projects or even um, doing live trials however to be honest it's very few um, so right now how many airlines are actually doing like real life deviations right now i don't have the the number on top of my mind but i would say it's likely just around 10. i mean if you say live deviation that is includes uh, airlines having have done a, a couple just as a trial i think the uh, the, the uk um uh, based uh, satavia they have worked with more airlines uh, just as very you know maybe a couple of trials um and and then they have uh, Publicly, they haven't worked with that many, but um, but behind the scenes, or what do you call like a, you know, there are a lot of a lot of airlines, and I think you know like um, 
uh, I just listened to the, the episode with um, Alejandra from uh, Flight Keys, and she was also saying that their customers are uh, asking for trials, but that doesn't mean that they are they are um, publicly um, announcing um, that they are doing trials. Because with a public announcement also comes a kind of a responsibility. You're saying, hey, our climate impact is actually maybe twice as big as we have told you so far. And even though we can easily take care of a big chunk of that, we can't take care of all of it. So the net addition to the climate problem is significant. And I think that's one of the factors that holds uh, holds back a lot of airlines from publicly going out and embracing um, the problem and and the solution to to contrail management. So, do you think the lack of real world trials is largely due to the scientific certainty not really? being there yet or do you think it's more the fact that we don't have the regulation available there's no financial incentive to carry this out which side of that do you think is swaying airlines more i think it's a big bag of all these different factors i think another one is we just have to remember that airlines are huge conservative um organizations especially those we're, we're talking about here like some of the world's biggest airlines that are actually doing this, American, Delta, Southwest, um, and so on. Um, and, and it takes a long time to implement any kind of change in organizations like that. Um, also, they, so, so that's, that's one side, yes. And then the, the, this is, you know, it, it's been, everyone in, in the contrary world think that everything is moving uh, kind of fast, you know, we're a lot of more people and, Kieran, you just mentioned um, that things are happening now. Um, but in, I, I still think on the agenda of airlines, um, sustainability is not number one. You know, safety is number one. Then there's a business. And then later comes sustainability. And within the sustainability bracket, Contrail's uh, non-CO2 is not a top of mind. Um, that's more like, okay, what kind of planes are we going to buy in the future? And how are we going to get the sustainable aviation fuels to bring down our CO2? So we're we're low on the list that is already low on the list of priorities uh, in an airline um and and everyone in this world is like trying to get the the, the amazing solution of, of contrail management higher on both lists will there be a point where um there is enough certainty that uh, this solution needs to be implemented that then all of a sudden it turns and then everyone has to act really quickly because we know that in order to scale this up processes are slow so you can't just wait for the regulation to come and press a button right it's maybe something where um, you need to slowly test and trial and do this for maybe two three years so do you reckon that um, there will be some kind of turning point or will this be a slowly increasing process interesting question I, I wish i knew um airlines are probably also very different and the different departments in airlines are, are reacting at different speeds um i'm sure if you look at the trials it's also like in my mind i've been thinking about what's going on and i see two kinds of trials going on there's like the ones that have a big corporate um are, are equivalent to big corporates so those are the big european trials like Seconia where you know they have the whole ecosystem involved everything is done extremely thoroughly um everything is laid out and planned and lots of meetings to do everything in the right way and those are very important because it brings the ecosystem together it's it, they're very thorough they they don't make many mistakes and then there is the more of a startup uh, approach 
which is um, what maybe flight keys are doing, where they're like, okay, let's somebody calls them, say, hey, let's uh, can we try this and how's this done? Um, and flight keys get together with Breakthrough Energy and maybe Google Research, and and they do the American Airlines trial um, that was uh, publicized half a year ago, where they they flew seventy flights uh, one way with with were not avoiding contrails and going back, they tried everything they could to avoid contrails, to, and then they looked at the results after to see if contrails were avoided and got very positive results. Um, and they didn't get a, the whole community together for that. They just kind of just did it. Um, and and that is important too, because you you learn a lot from that. Um, and it's way quicker than the other method where, where in Europe, um, they're still discussing how to do those trials. So we need both. Um, and I think, um, I don't know if that answered your question. It probably didn't at all. It's just... Um, but it's just like there, there, there are so many different approaches um, to how we can move forward here, and I think that that um, all approaches are um, both these kinds are, are really important and can can work in unison and can inspire some airlines to get involved, and others will want to wait until um, all the mistakes have um, been or most of the mistakes have been ruled out, and we are more precise. So there are two approaches to this, the startup approach, but then also these big, gigantic um, consortia uh, which trial this. You need both. And the projects that you mentioned, I think what they had in common was this Pareto kind of distribution where you only had to tweak uh, some flights in order to achieve a big result. Yet in all of these projects, it's very likely that there will be some kind of fuel penalty, even if we get it down. From your experience looking at airlines, do you have a feeling of what kind of fuel penalty could eventually be acceptable? Not talking about the late adoption, you know, when the regulation is there, but on the way there. If you look at the price of a ticket, which should, you know, even be equal to to airline expenses plus some profits for airlines, then if you look at airline expenses, it's like around 20% is fuel. So if you add to that fuel, um, 0. 0.0 something um, in fuel penalty. And even if you say, okay, let's just add that to the whole expense because uh, base, because um, you also have to have more people uh, hired within the big airlines to do this. And there are other expenses, right? Um, could also be a little bit of time expense. Um, so just let's just say that this is not just on fuel, but let's say that the 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 best practices uh, will be will be um, across all costs um, added for zero point three percent or something, and 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 for for return ticket from San Francisco to Copenhagen that I sometimes uh, take, um, let's say that's a thousand dollars. If I if if airlines passed all the costs down to me as a passenger, it wouldn't even be a dollar on top. And and those without you know I can't completely defend that math, um, but it's in that in the, in that ball ballpark and and that is just nothing. It it it's really isn't anything. Um, and this is when you go for those low hanging uh, no no those eighty percent that um, that that we can 
kind of comfortably um, take care of um, uh, the science shows us um, without uh, a huge um, uh, fuel penalty. The rest of the 20%, uh, the, 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 the final 20% is, is another question and that can be more difficult um, to take care of. Um, but if we can, if we can uh, manage to avoid 80% of, of, of uh, contrail warming that, it would be a huge feat. Um, and I'm very happy to pay uh, 50 cents or $1 more on my long haul ticket or 10 cents on my local ticket within Europe um, for, for airlines to do that. So if this really is such a, a tiny fraction of the, the cost of a, a ticket, how do we motivate airlines to go beyond the, the marketing stunts, the, the one flight trials and the, <laughs> the big PR stunts, which, will, which are aimed at gaining publicity, but won't necessarily get as far down the road in terms of testing the science and operational feasibility? That is the question that I would also like to know the answer to. Um, I think um, a lot is happening behind the closed doors. Um, I don't think most of them are super keen to come out and say, hey, we have this huge problem and we're not really doing anything about it. I think they would like to present the problem and the solution in the same at the same time, uh, most of them. I think public awareness, which is why I started Blue Lines, is uh, really lacking in this area. And uh, that's also why I love your podcast. Uh, hopefully uh, both uh, contribute to public awareness. Um, I think there's a an fantastic opportunity for an airport or an airline to, to be the first ones to do a public campaign and say, hey, Schiphol Airport um, wants to tell you about this. Or, um, you know, British Airways would like to really um, spend money on a, on a campaign, uh, maybe not just the website, but also just, you know, telling all the passengers about it. Um, and, you know, couple that with some action, um, I think that would be great. Um, I think I, you know, I would love to talk more to airlines about how to do this, um, and, and how they, you know, learn what their concerns are, uh, apart from it, it, it might be that it's something that we don't really talk about, uh, here. Um, we have airlines in, in the Contrail Impact Task Force and, and it's always always interesting when they have uh, something to say when we have when we meet. Um, it's not public information, so it's not public meetings. Um, but it's great that they participate and and listen in and and give their um, two cents on the different topics. I think mostly they're waiting for a little bit more consensus on um, metrics and uncertainties and all that but even you know for the uncertainties even at the very very low if we say we say that contrails have the lowest of the lowest impact in on climate it's still worth to do something about it now this is a question um, i was looking forward to ask you as an investor as well because um, the question that i wanted to ask you was as an investor you usually try to you know diversify you invest in many solutions in order for one to flourish Right, and um, when when I look at this this ecosystem right now, I feel like there are such few players actually who take a more entrepreneurial approach to this. You know, so there are these big institutions, and we'll definitely need them. But sometimes disruption can also happen from I don't know more smaller teams. You know, who can move more agile. And so, how do you look at this uh, from more like an investor point of view? Um, is this ecosystem diversified enough? 
So I would never invest in this if I wanted to make money. <laughs> I would not invest in a company that only only did um, control management because you know if you in San Francisco where I am right now, you know there's this uh, rule of thumb. You go to uh, if you invest in a company, you have to have a market that is looking to be a billion worth a billion dollars or more if it's uh, if you get 100% of the market there's no way that contrail management is going to be anywhere near 100 billion uh, uh, 1 billion dollars uh, worth of 1 billion dollars and and it's simply because it's so cheap to do you don't have to sell tons and tons of aviation sustainable aviation fuel you don't have to produce um uh, uh, green hydrogen for future planes um, you just have to tell uh, people to slightly uh, airlines to slightly avoid uh, uh, deviate their their cruising altitude, and and that's about it. Then there's a little bit of um, you know verifying that they did it, and some there's there's good consultancy work, but you know then that won't scale very easily. So. So I think that's also the reason why there aren't very many companies in this yet. Uh, I think there's room for many more because all these airlines will need help to implement this. Um, they will need help to report it and to to have um, to to think about um, how to um, communicate it, how to um, um, reorganize tiny bits of their organization, and and there are some. A few great small companies um, that are looking into this now, and uh, and also how to make all the pilots aware that this is important, and you know implement that behavioral change throughout the organization. Um, but I don't I don't think that any one of them will be billion dollar companies. Um, I don't think they think that themselves either. So avoiding contrails is in theory quite a minimally invasive approach, right? So compared to implementation of sustainable aviation fuel, um, hydrogen aircraft, like you were saying, these are things which will take at least decades to implement. Um, however, you also touched on the operational constraints. So the, the issues related to uh, air traffic management having to take this on as an additional me measure on top of increasing hazardous weather, increasing airspace density, and now we're going to say to them, you've got to actually block out regions of airspace like that's it doesn't really make much sense as it is at the moment so that sort of takes us on to the question from Remy from last week his question was Joachim how do you think we can overcome the operational constraints that are involved in contrail avoidance procedures and systems this is an area that I'm personally very curious to know more about so I would be reluctant to answer that because I don't know enough. Um, I'm learning about it currently. Um, we, we're going to have a whole chapter about it in the roadmap because it's so important to get that part. Um, I, I think what helped me was also right now when we're doing trials, let's say when, when um, FlyKeys is doing a trial with a, a, a low-cost European carrier, they are the only ones that know that this chunk of airspace should be closed off. So then there's no, it's like if if we if you're on a five lane uh, highway and every 100 cars know that they cannot use three of the lanes, 
you won't create a traffic jam. But as soon as all the cars know that they should avoid those three lanes, you will have a huge traffic jam, right? So for the next couple of years, when only a few airlines are are doing this, um, we won't have many um, uh, airspace uh, problems, but uh, soon enough, um, yeah, that will be something that people much smarter than me will have to talk more about and try to solve. I think it was a very tough question that that Remy asked. And um, and of course, we only pass on the questions that are not answered yet, right? And I think that this operational constraint is something there's just no data out there at the moment right now because you can have these simulations and then you can have single players trying this. But um, doing this at scale is something that has not yet been simulated and it's uh, something you can only do by scaling up the trials. So Remy... Sorry about that, but uh, we'll have to wait, I guess, a little bit more for for data to come in. What we can do, however, is we can um, look a little bit into what happened um, in 2023 and try to extrapolate um, some kind of trajectory into the new year. And um, you sent out a post or a text that was making some kind of prediction about 2024 and uh, there were two things that you uh, predicted or that you uh, see opportunities for and that is Uh, we will see first fleet-wide testing and airline involvement will double. Where do your assumptions come from? <laughs> so, uh, first of all, I want to say, you know, the business of doing prediction is very shitty. Um, by the end of the year, um, you know, if you're right, everyone will think that you're, that, that was obvious, you know, <laughs> anybody knew that. And if you're wrong, you're just an idiot, right? <laughs> so, um, I mean, um, so the first fleet-wide trial i think uh i heard rumors that that is on the way um and i'm just hoping that it will be successful and they will publish the results and 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 do that and you know of course you can't say anything about who it is and so on but um it makes sense that that it's possible with software like like keys where you can run every um every single flight through to to see um which ones are um you should uh, you should uh, recalculate um and and for the for the airline involvement to double i'm thinking of having you know twice as many people uh, twice as many airlines on the on the contrail um index airline index um it had is this year has not gone off to a great start we haven't added a single one yet so um we will have to have 17 more but i'm thinking that um When when airlines realize that that um, the European reporting requirements for for non CO 2 including contrails um, are right around the corner, they will during the year um, tell their uh, customers, passengers, companies that use them that they are also aware of this and they're also doing something about it. Um, so I am hoping that we will see a steady stream of of airlines. Um, admitting to this problem and being engaged in some kind of solutions. And just to confirm, by fleet-wide testing, do you mean one airline? I mean one airline that runs all their trajectories through some kind of, let's 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 find out which ones. Um, mm. Okay, yeah. Instead of just singling out like big hits or let's do a few on this particular route, let's do our whole network and see what we can do. That's that's the hope. Last year in November, there was one week where I thought to myself, 
so foul and fair a week I've not yet seen. That's because there were two things that happened uh, within that week that, and one was really good signaling, let's say, for the whole movement on, of contrail management and the other one um, was a little bit like holding back. So in um, on the 23rd of November, the European Commission published a press release that officially like put out a huge amount of money um, and called for solutions for sustainable solutions and included contrails in there. So they explicitly said contrails are a problem and please provide solutions for that. That was one kind of signaling. And then I'd say the other direction was on the 28th of November where there was a follow-up Lee et al. paper which was basically highlighting the uncertainties in mitigating these non-CO2 effects. How did you experience this week? <laughs> Yeah, that was a little schizophrenic. In a way, the EU is acting like a startup here. They're saying, hey, we, we don't have the right solution, but we know that there's a problem. And we know that if we motivate people to with money um, to try to solve this, we can, you know, trial and error. Some will succeed, some won't succeed, but we will get much closer to a solution much faster than if we just sat down and waited for the private markets to figure this out and and find out. And at the same time, um, we, yeah, we had this paper coming out, um, which of course for um, airlines who are not eager to jump into this is, is very welcome um, because you can say the uncertainty is so big and some of the biggest scientists in this area are saying that we shouldn't do anything. Mm, I I am in San Francisco. I'm very much um, in favor of let's, you know, you got to break some eggs to make an omelet, right? You got to try out some things to, to move forward. If we sit and wait for uncertainty on the climate impact of contrails and the uncertainties in predicting where contrail areas, uh, contrails will appear, I think we can wait for decades if we want to be 100% certain. And meanwhile, the, you know, earth will heat up um, and we will start all these uh, tipping points. Um, and and I, I am uncertain of why um, David Lee, Keith Shine and company are so um, focused on saying that, that, that we shouldn't do anything. Um, I'm debating with myself if I want to say anything about this, but you had one of the co-authors as a guest a few weeks back, and I think it was kind of telling that she didn't know who Flykeys was, because Flykeys is a very big player in 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 the non-CO2, um, the practical application of of uh, contrail avoidance, and um, this paper is basically saying that the, the science isn't ready, that we shouldn't be doing. Um, we should be focusing on CO2 and forgetting about non-CO2 for a while until we get more certain. That's how I understand it. And it actually seems like they're not really too eager to follow along at what has been happening happening at a very rapid speed, especially if you look at it, at it from a scientific point of view where, where, where advances are made, you know, usually are made pretty slowly um, and thoroughly, um, then... For the last couple of years, like we talked about earlier, you know, things have been really taking, picking up speed. And uh, I think on the other side, the people who really like to get in, in, 
it's 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 really healthy that somebody points out hey be aware that if you spend too much co2 this makes no sense i think that's a really valid point and and it's great that somebody makes that point um, really loudly but on the other hand to say don't experiment don't try to advance this really fast don't you know focus on the very slow solution which is um you know and we should keep doing that of course we should keep you know getting rid of co2 that's incredibly important but it cannot it's not either or it's both and i think the eu announcing that they want to put aside a big amount of money for projects um also within contrails um and i hope that somebody are really trying to get that money and doing something with it um i think that's a clear signal that that you know that the majority of scientists believe that it's time to do something now and then there are some voices that say no but that's how it is so the eu is taking the startup approach here which is great what is your expectation now with regards to a regulatory timeline or the options i'm 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 sure you've stumbled across the term of like carrot and stick um what do you expect in terms of regulation what what makes sense from your point of view that's part of the white paper we're coming up with from rocky mountain institute and roland berger and uh, without saying too much i mean we it's a little hard there isn't like a silver bullet here that uh, you know one solution fixes all um, that can be implemented uh, within a very short time frame and with no trouble and everyone's happy. Um, it's it's probably a, a, a slew, a, a big, many parallel solutions um, that would be the, the most efficient thing to do um, and makes make more sense. Um, you know, in general, I think what we looked at is if you look at other businesses, like how did how do we implement uh, electric cars that are very popular now getting more and more popular one of the things here in california for instance is that you got seven thousand five hundred dollars uh, rebate um, paid by the state so that's a clear incentive um, and that is that is going away now because now everybody wants an uh, electric car so you don't have to pay those seven thousand five hundred dollars anymore and prices have also dropped because of um, higher demand for them and more production. So usually you start with in the incentives, and then when the incentives have have um, created some kind of behavioral change, like we start to buy electric cars in you know a lot of us, then you can phase out the incentives, and then regulatory options or policy options will take over, and that could be from. ICAO, you know, or the IATA, or it could also be from politicians in the EU or the US, um, which are, you know, the biggest areas of contrail warming. So this is regulation, which is a very difficult topic right now because there is no data as well. Uh, let's take a step back. Um, I'm curious, what role will uh, consumers play uh, in the mitigation or management of contrails? Is there a role for consumers to play? Absolutely. I think, um, number one, they have to find out that it exists. And even though we're here in a podcast, and if you landed from Mars, you could think that everybody knows about this, because we're talking about it, but nobody knows. I mean, this is the best kept secret in climate that there is a solution here that can take care of one to 2% of climate change in uh, more or less instantly. And it won't demand any behavioral change, it won't cost much. And 
and um, and and it's almost ready. Um, so we need to tell everyone about this. I mean, and as soon as you know, as a company who's like companies are increasingly aware that they need to lower their climate footprint and look at their scope one, two, three emissions. This is as if this is added as a scope three emission, and you can choose between uh, Marius Airlines, which um, manages their contrails and Joachim Airlines, which does not, you know, then, you know, the airline that, that doesn't do it will very fast see, uh, um, get to change their behavior and, and, and start managing their contrails. But it demands that there's much more knowledge um, and awareness in, in among the consumers. And that is recognized by the state, the, the um, science-based target initiative that they recognize that um, that this should be counted in as um, a scope three emission and this should be something that that uh, companies are should report maybe even the impact from that and one of the things that could help drive this change is the work that is going on now with um, the google um, impact uh, model i can't remember exact name where you know you go to expedia or um booking.com or whatever you you book uh, um when you book your flight online sometimes uh, most uh, listeners will have noticed i'm sure that you, you get a, a little notification saying hey this is a good choice uh, this is the lowest uh, um, co2 emissions from this flight or a little nudge to say hey maybe consider this other flight because this has lower co2 emissions um uh, or this, the, the one you chose has higher than average. Um, there are different ways. And now, soon, they are working on implementing the non-CO2 effects as well. So saying, hey, this is could be, I'm just thinking aloud here, it could be that, hey, this is a nighttime flight. Um, there's a likelihood that this um, this flight will make contrails and you know add to climate change and global warming. Um, maybe you want to take a day like daytime flight instead that could be better for yeah i think that consumers definitely play an important part in this sort of self-reinforcing feedback loop it's all about the the communication and outreach from the scientists and from the marketing bodies to convince the consumers and to convince the end users that this is really a problem and then as a result of that they would be much more inclined to actually maybe pay a slightly different fee or to book a flight which was implemented contrail avoidance and to really sort of spark this initiative. I think it's so important that we have this, this high level communication. And it's one of the reasons why we thought this was such a good idea to do this podcast is communicating the science, communicate, especially when it comes to climate science, it's, it's absolutely paramount at the moment. And I think that it will play a big role in, in the years to come when implementing these contrail avoidance strategies. I completely agree. We're coming to the time where it's time to pass on the ball. Um, from our previous guest, Remy, we had a question, and now it's your chance to ask a question to our next guest, who will be Professor Stephen Barrett from MIT. So do you have any questions for Professor Barrett that you'd like to share? I do. I, I um, What a guest. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting him at the Eurocontrol uh, meeting um, in November. So I would ask uh, Stephen Barrett, um, what does he think um, are the three biggest problems holding back the adoption of contrail management at scale? 
And what can the ecosystem do to solve those problems? And by the ecosystem, I mean anybody who's, you know, if it's an ATC problem, you know, then what should be done there? If it's a, you know, science problem, what what kind of research do we need? Okay, great question. This leaves us to conclude the episode. Thank you so much, Joachim, for being our guest. Thank This you. was very insightful. And we keep following you, of course, with the work that you do with Blue Lines and the posts that you share there. Um, I recommend everyone to subscribe to your newsletter there. And of course, you also placed some teasers here and there for the white paper that is coming out with the Rocky Mountain Institute. So um, please share it with us. Until then, all the best. Likewise, it was such a pleasure meeting you and thank you for doing this. Very important to get the word out. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, Jerkin. See you soon. Bye. See ya.